our reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 23. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it has been de decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to look today at how we can strengthen our faith. And uh, I don't know how the last couple of years has been for you, but most people I've spoken to over the last six months have said to me that in some way the last couple of years has been a turbulent time. And it might be you're experiencing grief or disappointment or confusion, or it's just all the big movements in our world that are still ongoing right now have shaken your foundations a bit and you feel a little bit like how do I how do I strengthen my faith again after this crazy time we've been through how, how do I put the pieces back together how do I put the core blocks of my faith back in place how do I reconstruct my faith how do I strengthen things and at the moment we're looking at Jesus and Jesus 
lived a life of stunning beauty. He lived a life of extraordinary mercy. Jesus healed people who were sick. He invested his time in the least, the last, and the lost. He strengthened the weak and he unsettled the strong. He comforted the disturbed and disturbed the comfortable. Jesus lived the most extraordinary life that there has ever been lived. And yet the thing I find most captivating about Jesus is actually the way in which he died. And when he came to his followers to explain to them the significance of his death, knowing that they were gonna face a season of remarkable spiritual power and yet huge spiritual persecution, that they were going to face huge opportunities and very real challenges, he didn't give them a list of top tips or a pep talk, he gave them a meal. And we're gonna look together at the significance of this meal today and how it might help us to strengthen our faith. And the first thing we see here is uh, how important it is to be reminded. One of the most important things you carry with you are your memories. They're key to your your identity and sometimes maybe like me, you remember some things you wish you could forget and you forget some things that you wish you could remember. But Jesus, with all he is facing, knowing that there's a price on his head, knowing that there's a conspiracy at play to assassinate him, knowing that people are coming to arrest him on false charges and that by dawn break, he will be sentenced to death. Knowing that one of his closest friends has betrayed him, knowing that he's facing one of the greatest challenges that anyone has ever faced in their entire life, his great desire, in the, in the Greek it's his desiring desire is to have the Passover meal with his disciples, a meal which the Jewish people had celebrated for over a thousand years a reminder of who they were, of their identity, of this key event in their history that they had been liberated from captivity. They never, God never wanted them to forget their history, that they weren't just a free people, but that they were a freed people, that God had intervened on their behalf and taken them from captivity into freedom. And so they had this extraordinary meal. This meal was spices, to remember the bitterness of their time in captivity, stewed fruits, to remember the the mortar that they had to put together to make bricks, the unleavened bread, to remember the haste with which they had to leave the land of Egypt, the lamb to remember the lamb that was sacrificed, the wine to remember the blood that was put on the doors to protect them from God's judgment as it passed over that nation. And Jesus uses that meal to communicate to them the significance of his own imminent death in a way that they would never forget and always remember. It's fascinating the way that your memory is anchored to your senses. Uh, Touch. I can still remember exactly how my grandmother's carpet in her kitchen, odd to have a carpet in a kitchen, I know, a grandmother's carpet in my kitchen, the way it felt on my bare feet when I walked downstairs in the morning. I can still remember it like it was yesterday. Smell. I was a competitive swimmer all through my teenage years. I did like seven training sessions a week minimum. I did a ridiculous number of galas. To this day, if I smelled chlorine, 
adrenaline starts kicking in my body and I'm ready to race. It's so weird. You're there, kind of put your daughter's socks on at the swimming pool and you're like thinking, right, we've got to go. Taste. I vividly remember the first time great friends of my parents, uh, Chinese friends, gave us a duck to roast for Chinese New Year. I was seven years old and I remember thinking, this is it. This is all I want to eat for the rest of my life. Every day should include this meal. Sound, I can still remember the sound of my dad's voice as he dropped me off outside my sixth form college for my A-level exams. And he turned to me in the car and he said, son, whatever happens, whether these exams go well or badly, I just want you to know I could not be more proud of you. I remember sitting in the car thinking, is this reverse psychology? <laughs> like, is, what's, what's the game? And like, but I knew from his voice that he was being sincere. Sight, I can still remember the exact shade of red of the hoodie that Beth, my wife, was wearing the first moment I saw her. I can remember exactly what it look like. Your senses anchor your memories. And all these senses, touch, taste, smell, sight, hearing, are engaged in this meal. So that you would never forget, so that you would always remember you are free. God has acted on your behalf. That you would remember the sadness of captivity and the joy of salvation. And Jesus takes this whole meal, the whole Passover meal, he takes it all and he implies it to himself. There's a moment in the Passover meal, if you've ever had one, when the host stands up and he explains, or she explains, the significance of the elements around the table. And Jesus does that and he uses the meal to explain the significance of his coming death. He takes the bread, the unleavened bread, and he kind of breaks it and says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He takes the cup of wine and he says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Body broken for you. Blood poured out for you. And the significance is clear. Jesus is going to give himself his body. He's going to shed his blood on the cross for them, for us, for me, for you. And it's so important. And he wants us always to remember it. And so he gives us a meal. I find it fascinating, you might have noticed none of the gospel writers refer to there being a lamb on the table and it seems like an odd omission. Why isn't there a lamb? But at the start of his ministry, John the Baptist sees Jesus and says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Tim Keller said, you know, the lamb isn't on the table because the lamb is at the table, Jesus has come by his body, by his blood, to set people free, to win forgiveness of sin, to bear God's judgment so we would never have to fear it, to forge a new covenant, a new promise that God would never forsake his people. And when we take the bread, when we drink the wine, we declare, we proclaim to our own hearts, to our colleagues, to our families, to our city, the Lord's death and his resurrection until he comes again. It reminds us who we are. Sometimes you have to remember things. 
Maybe you're having a tough time at the moment. You know, God called you by name. He's called you by name for a purpose, an actual purpose. It's not an accident you're sitting here. He's called you for a purpose. You were bought at a price by his blood, an inestimable price. You have been set free, not just to go through the motions, but for freedom. Sometimes you have to remember, and to remember, to put yourself back together, to reorientate yourself around your true identity, to put the pieces back together. To remember that there are truths in which we built our lives that are greater than any pandemic, greater than anything else that's going on, greater than any changes in our lives, greater than any grief or loss or disappointment or confusion or disorientation. This is who we are. This is ultimate. This is concrete. This is the rock. This is not going to change. It's not up for grabs. It's not going to be different if you feel different tomorrow or different if your life goes through a washing machine or different if everything on which you build your hopes crumbles and fades away. You can build your life on these truths, and sometimes you have to remember them. But you also have to give thanks for them. The word here, Jesus gave thanks. It's powerful to give thanks. Powerful just to thank God for how he's acted on your behalf. So important. Giving thanks today for my mother. uh, if you're watching this, mum, hi. And um, I see my mum's a remarkable person. Lived a life of extraordinary sacrifice. Grew up in a kind of a farming village in what most people would think was the middle of nowhere. Was invited to Sunday school by someone who just lived on her street. No one in her family going back generations had really gone to church. And while she was there, she, she encountered Jesus and placed her trust in him and you know, trained as a teacher, but then felt this deep call to, to, to minister to people in China. It's quite difficult. Lincoln's just quite a long way from China. And um, went, went to train, but had, had to learn Mandarin, not an easy language to learn. And what's more, my dad was dyslexic, and she had to train my dad how to speak Mandarin as a dyslexic. That's quite tricky. But she did. And they went, and they were missionaries, and somehow she raised children as well as reaching out to people with the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know how she did it. And was always wise, and had good advice, and was patient, and put up with my nonsense. And when I was annoying, she was gentle. It's extraordinary. But it takes a while. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves what we've got to be thankful for, particularly when we're going through a tough time, to celebrate our deliverance, to celebrate what God has done on our behalf. When we take communion, it's one of lots of moments in the Christian faith uniquely combine solemnity and joy. It's solemnity because it's a big deal. Jesus had to die. It's not a small thing. Never want to take it for granted. But joy because this amazing thing, the most amazing, awesome thing in the world has happened on our behalf. And that is joyous and it's a cause for everlasting celebration. Sometimes you need to remember. But then it's... We want to be reminded, but then we also want to be present. It's fascinating. Jesus is approaching the climax of his ministry. Very little time left. A matter of hours under huge pressure, got huge challenges. And what does he do? 
What does Jesus do with his time? Could write something? Could, could speak to a massive crowd? But no, his priority when he has just a few hours left is to get his friends together for a meal. And I find that remarkable because it's so easy when you're under pressure to forget to be present in the moment and to forget to connect to those around us. One of the great dangers of times of challenge is that you are isolated. We isolate ourselves from people around us because we don't think we have the capacity or the energy to reach out. Pressure pushes you inward often when you most need to focus outward. And isolation is like kryptonite for the Christian faith. We need to invest in connection to be fully present. One of the challenges of this season in our lives is that we have these distraction devices, smartphones, which just consume all our focus and our attention. Even when you're with people, it's hard to give them your full attention. My friend uh, runs a global app company, and I said, how do you handle it? And he said, what I do is when I come in the front door, I have a box, like a locked box, and I put my smartphone in there and lock it, and then I just don't, I don't use it once I'm in the house. It's extraordinary. This guy runs an app company. So I tried it, and then I was like, I want to put some music on. Oh, it's all on my phone. Like I couldn't even do, I couldn't even get within 10 minutes of the door with, oh, I want to put a song on. Oh, we want, how do we get there? Oh, yeah, it's on my maps. It's like everything has, it's like the tech has woven itself into the very fabric of my being and made itself completely indispensable to me. But it's so important to be present. It's so important to gather around a table, to build meaningful connection around the table. I was reading this study done in 2018 about how different nation states approach meals. And the different time that different nationalities on average spend eating. So it might be any surprise, but in first place, the French. Um, They spend on average two hours, 11 minutes each day eating. Very, very, you know, that's admirable. Italy also, very high value, two hours, one minute. The United Kingdom, one hour, 18 minutes. Almost an hour less a day than the French eating. Don't think we're eating half as much food as the French, just spending less time doing it. The US, one hour, one minute. But we need to spend time together around the table. We need companions on the way if we're going to grow and flourish in our faith. Companion comes from the word compagnie, someone you break bread with. We need to find people we can break bread with. Maybe that's people in your small group. Maybe that's your friends. Maybe that's as a family together. Who are your companions? And what's one change you can make this week to be more present with them when you are with them? I mean, we're having communion today. I would love if we could just you know, have a feast. Let's just sack off the day, three hours together, the best food, the best wine have a tear up. And actually, we're going to do that on the 25th of June. We're going to gather the whole church. We've rented a space. We're going to spend the day together celebrating and rejoicing and connecting. 
But what I found is that what matters most, what helps me to be really present, is to remember to know that Jesus is really present, to encounter him. And we encounter Jesus in our welcome. We encounter Jesus in our worship. We encounter Jesus, God willing, through the preaching of the word. We encounter Jesus through communion, through having the bread and the wine. We encounter Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We encounter Jesus over coffee in each other. But we also encounter him wherever we are. Jesus is present by his spirit in you, in conversations, in challenges, in ups and downs of the day. When you're in the boardroom, or the exam hall, when you're in an office, when you're anxious about something, when you've got difficult things to communicate to people, when difficult decisions at work, when there's misunderstandings or fallouts, he is with you. When you're up, when you're down, when you're happy, when you're hurting, he is there. Well, how do you know? Well, look at Jesus' table. Who's there? Just before this passage... And just after it, just before this passage, it's talking about a betrayal. Complete betrayal by one of Jesus' closest followers. Jesus knows that. He's not blind to it. But he still breaks bread with him. He's round the table with him. Just after this passage, the disciples have a massive argument about who's most important, who's greatest. I mean, it's not, it's not simple. It's not like super healthy relationship. And this is the table that Jesus is holding together. He gets complexity. He gets that things are difficult from time to time, and he connects us to others. Everyone in this room has so much in common. Everyone watching online has so much in common because we know Jesus. He was broken so we might be made whole. His blood was poured out so we might be drawn together, and that is very powerful, and it changes things. It makes a difference. I still remember when I was uh, 15 years old, um, my family fell apart, and one part of my family split off. And it was the most painful thing, one of the most painful things I've ever been through, very confusing. Um, If you've experienced something like that, you'll know it feels quite a lot like grief, and uh, it's very confusing. I didn't see um, some of my family for over 13 years, and it felt like chaos. It felt like our lives were being ripped apart. And I tell you, one of the times when I felt this deep, overwhelming sense of peace is when I would take communion. I'd kind of come and and take bread and wine. And as I took it, I felt like I was being put back together, like I was being remembered, like the parts of my life and my body were being reconnected. And it's a time in my life where I sense the closeness of Jesus Christ more than any other. Just taking communion and then just taking a moment and thanking Jesus for what he had done for me. Because I knew Jesus particularly was with me. And that enabled me, his presence enabled me to go into the rest of my life and to be fully present, to engage, to connect, to give myself, not just to retreat, not just to turn in on myself. Even though things were really difficult and there was so much confusion and I didn't understand why things were happening the way they were, I was still able to reach out because I had felt him reach in. And I knew he was with me. Be reminded, be present, and then be expectant. Uh, It's said that one of the most important factors in whether you will thrive through a time of pressure is whether you have hope. And hope is the expectation that things will turn out well. And and hope for the future, the challenges are temporary ultimately, and, and they might be very difficult and very tricky to walk through, 
but knowing that God will turn it for good. So failure doesn't finish you and successes don't seduce you. And we're told to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And Jesus says in this passage, he says, I will not drink again of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And our hope, our expectation, the truth we know is that Jesus will return and he'll establish his kingdom fully on earth. And then what's gonna happen? We're gonna have a huge party, like a massive party. Do you know you're gonna get to drink wine with Jesus? Sounds crazy, I think it's gonna be quite fun. I think the wine's gonna be pretty good. That's our hope. That hope, that great joy, that overwhelming happiness to celebrate with the Father and with us. That was the hope that was set before Jesus, which motivated Jesus to endure the cross. The hope he was prepared to suffer for. Of worship, of food, of feasting, of unhindered connection with God. And that hope just kind of builds resilience in you. When I was working as a barrister, I uh, did a really difficult case and it lasted three months and it was high pressure and it was very tough and um, there was lots of media attention around it and there were press in court every day, lots of press in court every day, very difficult and we were just working flat out. We'd been working for three months flat out before the case started and then the case started and then every night was like 11 p.m. or midnight or 1 a.m. and then back in the next day and we were living near the court and it was just intense. It was like a pressure cooker day after day after day after day and it was so stressful and the thing that got me through each week was this hope because um, one of my best friends that I ever had when I was growing up, uh, he was getting married on a Friday a couple of weeks after the end of the case. And so I just remember thinking, look, this is tough, but I've got something to look forward to. That wedding's gonna be amazing, and I'm gonna see all my old friends, it's gonna be a real fun party, can't wait. And it just went on and on, the case went on and on. But then there were a few problems with the case, as there always are, and the case started to overrun by one day, by two days, by three days, then it was overrunning by a week. And I was like looking at the state thinking, it's not gonna happen, this is gonna be a disaster, this has kept me going for six months, it's not gonna happen. And you can't really stand up to the judge and say, Your Honor, I'm so sorry, I know the court's still sitting, but um, I've got a really important friend's wedding, on Friday, so could I just bunk off? It doesn't work that way. And, uh, and so I was thinking, I'm going to miss. And then the case finished on the Thursday, the day before the wedding. And um, our client was acquitted, and uh, we, we, we kind of came out of court, this huge sense of relief. And then I remembered, I've got the wedding tomorrow. It's going to be so exciting. So we drove up there, and outside the church, uh, before the service and after the service, I was just buzzing. I was so excited. It was like the fulfillment of six months of anticipation and awaiting this joy suddenly fulfilled. And so I was going around going, hi, how are you doing? It's great to see you. Hi, how are you doing? You're all right? Yeah, great. Hi, hi. Oh, it's lovely to see you. Hi, hi, hi. You know? And after about 10 minutes of this, one of my friends came up to me and said, Steve, have you taken something? <laughs> and, um, and I said, no, and he said, it's just you're, you're a bit hyper, you're quite high. And so, oh no, I'm just so excited to see everyone, hi, hi, hi. Anyway, so it carried on for about another 10 minutes, and then we had to get in the car to go to the reception. I was still so excited, hi, 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 how you doing? Woo. And um, we got in the car in our little Ford Fiesta, and I sat in the driver's seat, and only time Beth, Beth leaned across me, pulled the keys out of the ignition, and took them, and sat there with her arms folded, and she looked at me and she said, Stephen, we're just gonna sit here quietly for five minutes until you've calmed down. And I think it's the only time an adult has ever said that to another adult. 
And uh, I was like, really? She said, yeah, I just think you need five minutes just to calm down. We kind of sat there in our car and I was like, I was so excited. I'd been waiting six months, but the joy was fulfilled and it happened and it was awesome. If you know Jesus Christ, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, there is nothing uncertain about the joy that awaits you. Your eternal future is utterly secure. You have an invitation to the wedding feast, to the party of the Lamb. Jesus will take you through death into the greatest party of all time. It's not in doubt. And when we take bread and wine, We're building that hope. We're building our faith. We're strengthening it. That expectation in us. What we're actually doing is we've got a foretaste. We're taking a bit of what the taste of that joy is going to be in the future. And we're taking it into the present, into all the sadness and confusion and difficulty and grief. And I'm not sure what's going on at the moment. And we're rubbing it into our hearts. And we're saying to our hearts, have some of this. This is a foretaste of what you're going to have. This is a foretaste of the joy you're going to experience. This is, this is just a touch, a hint, a taste of what it's going to be like. And it's going to be worth everything. Every tear, every disappointment, every sadness, every confusion, every bit of patience, every bit of tenacity, every bit of resilience, every sacrifice, every step of obedience. It's going to be worth it. You know, one day, lots of the things that bother us and trouble us, lots of the difficult things we have to walk through in this life, they will fade away like shadows at daybreak. On that day, relatively few things will remain. But what will remain is deep, everlasting joy. Connection with each other like nothing we've ever experienced. Worship of the Lamb who was slain that will blow your socks off. When you see him as he really is in all his glory, when you see people you've been connected to and walked alongside and helped and reached out to and explained Jesus to and discipled and invested in, when you hear the sound of countless angels roaring his praise when you taste the wine. That's our hope. And we could rub that hope into our hearts this day and declare afresh to this church, to each other, to our hearts, to this city, to this nation that Jesus is Lord. And he's coming back soon. Amen.